Hey, everybody. Billy Holting here. Thanks for tuning in. It's episode 16, and we're excited to have the amazing drummer Bernie Dressel with us. He's an amazing drummer and one of the more entertaining guests we've had. He's very sought after in the studios for his drumming, but is also a band leader. His band is called the BBB featuring Bernie Dressel, and they have a new album out. We'll talk about that and more. Check out the show notes for the links we talk about. As always, the Jazz Roundtable is recorded in front of a live internet audience. I've edited a bit from the original, but all the good stuff is still here from the live show. The shows are free, but if you'd like to leave us a little something in the tip jar, please go to live at 0bpm.com slash tip jar. And note, live at 0bpm.com is spelled live, A-T-Z-E-R-O-B-P-M.com. You can also tip on Venmo at Z-E-R-O-B-P-M. We always love it if you subscribe and leave reviews. That really helps us spread the word. I want to make the show better, and you can help. Feel free to send ideas to podcast at live at 0bpm.com. Thank you, and have fun listening. Welcome to the Jazz Roundtable, brought to you by Live at Zero BPM, with your host, Grammy Award-winning percussionist and mallet player, Billy Holting. Tonight's guest, Bernie Dressel. If you care to donate, click on the donate slash tip jar link in the description or on our website at live at zerobpm.com slash tip jar. You can also tip on Venmo at C-E-R-O-B-P-M. And now, let's get to the music with your host, Billy Holting. Hey, everybody out there in internet land. Thank you. We've got another Jazz Roundtable, believe it or not. Yes, we're here. Uh, and I know we don't post the guests till it gets closer because cats are busy, you know, so uh, we, we sometimes it's a little bit late notice. But we have an amazing guy here tonight. I'm super excited about this. And... Uh, Oh, but just so I say, we are 100% uh, listener-supported, so tips make a difference. If you want to leave us a little something, I'll put some uh, links up there in the chat rooms and, uh, and, and that, and we'll get right to it. Let's bring on Mr. Mr. Bernie Dressel. Hey, Bernie, how are you? I love it how no matter whenever we hang out, you always call me Mr. Bernie Dressel. It's so weird, but I like it. Well, because I have <laughs> such an amazing amount of respect for you. You're not and, just... And <laughs> Since it's a round table, I brought this round table. Wow. At least to sit next. Where is it? There. Which way? Wow. There it is. There it is. To wow. sit next to us. You've already gone, yeah. you've already gone farther than any other guest. I know. <laughs> hey, but let's, well, I had to make up because we're, we're not multiple guests. It's just me and you. Yeah, I know. It's not as round. It's more like a line table, I guess. You know what? It's more of a like battle between me and you. Like. And I, and I am ready. Are you? To, I'm not. I'm not pulling off the gloves. I'm putting them on. So I'm not going to pull any punches with you, Billy. Yeah, I'm a straight shooter. I'm honest, and unless you ask me something, I don't want to answer. But yeah, wow. I'm ready. Well, that's, that's good promo, and I have a graphic that matches that. So, but I'm you a lover. I'm a lover, not a fighter. So uh, I've heard that. Yeah, it's. Uh, you are. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, but we're going to talk about a lot of things tonight. One, you are, you have a uh, release concert tomorrow night, which we'll get to. But let's just start from the beginning. Mm. Mr. Bernie oh. Dressel is a young man growing up. Where did you grow up? Well, that would be in a house. Okay, usually good start in Sharon, PA. Ah, okay. So, like when you drive through the the Pennsylvania, like the Turnpike or the highway, and you see like West Middlesex, Farrell, yeah, Pittsburgh, it's always Sharon, PA. For yeah. some reason, PA is always added with the comma uh-huh. to our city name where I grew up. Okay, but yeah, I did start. Most people start off as a small child. I started off as a very, very large child. Wow. It was odd, you know, and I've kind of gotten smaller since then. Wow, that's, yeah. uh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, well, when did you start playing music? And did you start with the drums or what did you start with? I don't know really what I started with because I was listening to music. Mm-hmm. I had a record player. My grandmother bought me Meet the, uh, Meet the Beatles. That was the... Ca- uh, Capitol Records U.S. release of With the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw them on Ed Sullivan. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, where is it? There. Right back there is like the post. That's the poster of Hard Day's Night back there. Ah, Because it was such an important beginning for me. But I would be faking to a toy guitar singing Hound Dog by Elvis. Uh 
I'd be out on trash cans banging on them and singing. So I was pretending to play some guitar, dancing around. But I, you know, obviously pots and pans and spoons were huge at first at Grandma's house. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's where my parents looked at me hitting, hitting things and making noise and said, He's a genius. Look at him. <laughs> Hit things. And they tried to get me in at lessons at three. Oh, he's too young. Lessons at three and a half, too young, et cetera. Wow. No. Four and a half, okay. Mark's music in Farrell, PA, in mm-hmm. Farrell, which is now in Hermitage, still going, you know, what, uh, 55 years later. Um, Mark's music and did the trial lesson with my teacher, Bob Bedell. And, uh, after the lesson, they said, oh, you know, it went well. You should have brought him in earlier, you know, and then four and a half is the joke. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it worked very well for me because I was so shy. Believe it or not, you know, yeah. am I shy now, Billy? Is that what I, comes to mind? I, no. I don't believe you, but go ahead. No. <laughs> right. So I was shy. Someone would ask me, how old are you? And my, I whispered to my mom, you know, I'm 327 days old, you know, I would whisper that, you know, so um, I was shy. So that meant in a lesson, I was quiet. I listened well, mm-hmm. respected authority, unlike today. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that worked well. That's great. And then what, I mean, like every other drummer, I'm sure you started with just a snare drum or did you, you know, start out reading music or what did you get? How did you get your starts? Well, again, it's interesting what you remember when you're two. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you, and I remember these big, this big drum set my dad got for me used. It was used or somehow, um, and pre eBay, not eBay. Um, yeah. and so that bass drum to me to this day, I don't know how big it was, but it seemed like it was 48 inches tall. I don't know. Cause I was so small. So it seemed huge, the bass drum, um, But when I started lessons, my teacher said, okay, get rid of the drum set because uh, we're going to work on hands and a pad. And so, oh, yeah, there was also I had all those toy drum sets before that from like pennies and Sears. And back then, now they have plastic heads now. Back then, they were cardboard paper heads. Wow. So you can imagine how long that lasted, you know. (laughs) Bam, right through them, you know. So that's why my dad finally got me a real drum set, but then we sold it. So I studied privately on a pad, rudimental drumming hands Mm -hmm. uh, for about a year until I got a real snare drum. And for some reason, Santa knew I wanted that. Wow. And he brought me a snare drum. Wow, that's awesome. yeah, with a little probably splash symbol kind of thing. Now, was your snare uh, drum, was it silver sparkle or what color was it? It, it was silver metal. Ah, it was an aluminum okay. snare. Oh, wow. I can't even remember. I still have it. I forget what brand it was. I think it was Pearl, Ah, like which was really like not a good brand then. Right, then, In 1964, yeah. you know. Uh, 60, yeah. So, and then four years of lessons later, Santa brought me an Olympic premiere a premier drum set wow. by Olympic, like their intermediate 20 by 12 bass drum. And then I had a ba- uh, real drum set, yeah. Wow. But never took drum set lessons, really. Interesting. It was always snare drum and hands and then timpani and mallets. And did you it then, was never. Did, did yeah. you just pick up the drum set by listening and imitating or? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but not really like we would transcribe tonight. It was just like, Whatever, play along, right. you know, and maybe busier than it was should yeah. be. You know, it wasn't just the groove. No one's there telling me, no, simplify, Bernie. You know, I was just <laughs> all over the place, probably. Yeah. And, uh, but what was I going to say about that? Ch- uh, uh, hmm. Yeah, so I play along to a record player that oh, is not, wow. you know, no headphones. So trying to stay with that. Not to mention all the bands there, whether it was the Beatles, the Monkees, or the Green Beret. I had that. Wow. Oh, the Green Beret. Here's your music, people. Oh, I don't know the words, though. But it was, uh, you know, like a march. So I would just right. play along to that stuff. But there was no click track. So all those drummers and bands, yeah. you know, it moved around just a little bit. So to try and play to it, I could be more perfect and they might move or vice versa. Right. So it was hard to stay with it and hear it, you know. Then when did you start? I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then 
I started like trying to solo on the drum set or whatever by because I was doing drum corps and rudimental mm. uh, drumming. And so I would just, the cadences I had learned or whatever, I would put it down to the drum set. You know, like maybe Steve Gadd would kind of do like a march with the kick drum accenting. But I would, whatever we played as cadences, I would kind of do that if the toms had a or whatever. What did and just you, playing a march. What did yeah. you play in the marching band, in the drum corps? Well, usually I was snare drum. Okay. And, and usually I was like eight and everyone else was 16, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and, but, but my first year of high school, because all the, I, I got it, usually it was 10th, 10th grade, you'd play, be in the high school marching band, but mm-hmm. in ninth grade, my band director go, let's get them in there now, you know, oh, we, wow. some, some fresh meat, you know, yeah. Bernie, you know, let's get them <laughs> in there. And, but he didn't want to take the snare drum off all these seniors and juniors. So I played a brand new thing they had just gotten. I think it was Ludwig Silver Sparkle. Yeah. Um, uh, like tritone, tritone. They were yeah. like, but they were baritone. They were huge, wow. like bass drums. And I like, I'm like, um, <laughs> da, dum, ba, bum, ba, bum, marching down through by Niagara, Niagara Falls with this huge, you know, you know, it just w- unwieldy, like it had wings, you know. Yeah. So it wasn't like those real tight quads and high pits. They were like bass drums practically. Yeah, but it was usually snare drum. Yeah. Well, I know that. Uh you know, Billy Cobham used to talk a lot about, you know, getting your chops in, in drum corps and that sort of thing and applying it to the drum kit. But, but, uh, and then, and then here you are. So when did you start playing with other people playing drum set? Hmm. Well, I played in a band and where I was in, I was in seventh grade and two of the guys from Farrell PA mm-hmm. were uh, in a different high, different junior high uh, rivals, really, Sharon and Farrell, like rivals uh-huh. in sports, etc. Um, we had like a trio, and our card said Starbreaker, Hard Rock to Polkas. <laughs> and you had a business card for your band, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. And you, here's my business card as a Starbreaker. Yeah. And so, you know, you play the Elk Slides, the Moose Club, whatever, you know, some high school dances. And, uh, and we eventually expanded to three more horn players and then another guitarist. And we were able to do more like tunes like Chicago or Earth, Wind & Fire that had horns and stuff. But, you know, I had always kind of played in the, in the stage bands in junior high. I remember junior high playing in the concert band. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar it was a big drum feature. Yeah. And then we put a drum solo in it, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I had to jump off screen to fix something really quick, but uh, mm. you know, let's let's uh, let's get yeah, into. Yeah, your hair looks better now. It does, <laughs> but uh, we got we have some videos and stuff to play oh, and some yeah. tracks because you apparently have a, a, a you have a big show tomorrow night. Let me see if I can find it. It's uh, don't tell me it's right. Oh, here we go. Sorry, the, there it is. That's the uh, your big BB your. Bernie birthday bash, uh, <laughs> but you you call it the uh, Bernie Big Band. Bernie, tell us no, the official I do name. Not. What's I what, do you, not, you call Billy. it? Just read, BBB. No, read the poster. Read it. Fourth line B, down. Fourth line down. Oh, BBB featuring Bernie Dressel. Okay, that's what I thought. There's the name. I made featuring a Bernie Dressel. Okay. I'm. I made a. I remember like at the Rippingtons featuring Russ Freeman. You know, and I thought, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, I don't want to call it. What you said, the yeah. Bernie Dressel Big Band. It's like every big band right, right, right. sounds like that. And so I didn't want the name Big Band in it. Okay, so yeah. I didn't want a big band anymore. I could have <laughs> strings in it or like oh, the second it. record the second record, Burn Burn Burn, had the Los Angeles Clarinet Choir playing with us. Oh cool. So it wasn't just a big band. So but a lot of times it is. But um, uh, so the BBB featuring Bernie Dressel is the name and that's nobody can remember it. They all want to change it. But my idea was that there would be some improv by the crowd. Right. And okay. about what BBB stands for, et cetera. 
But I didn't realize I was I was gonna not like people not remembering the name. Yeah, well, it's it's a conversation starter. So we just spent you know, two minutes on that. It is. It now, is. now nobody out there it watching is. will forget it. No, oh, yes, they will. Well, yes, tell us will. tell us about the shows tomorrow. You're you've, you're promoting the new album and your vibrato. So tell us a little bit about the show tomorrow. Who's playing? And okay, so. The BBB featuring Bernie Dressel is playing. <laughs> so uh, we got four trumpets, Tony Bonsara, Dave Richards, wow. uh, Aaron Janik. I put me on the spot. I remember all my friends' names. Jeff Bennell and uh, Jamie Havork is going to come in, special guest on one tune. He plays in the, on the recording. The new record's called The Pugilist. That's, that's wait, where is it? There it is. That's me over there with the boxing gloves. So if you know what pugilism means, or you can guess because of the cover, it's someone that fights with their fists, okay? And there's a, that's the title track, The Pugilist, is uh, written by one of our trombonists who writ, wrote, writ, wrote five arrangements and tunes. Uh, his name's James McMillan, mm-hmm. and he wrote oh. The Pugilist, Jim McMillan. And uh, he's playing trombone, Alan Kaplan, Ryan Dragon, and wow. Julianne Growl is wow. on bass trombone. They're very cool. I know them all. And Jim used to actually coach one of the big bands at Northridge when I was a student there a million oh. years ago. So uh, that's awesome. That's, that's, nice. a, that's quite a lineup you have there. So, But, it, but it's not done. There's, oh, you're not done. But there's wait, more? But wait, there's, there's more. more. <laughs> Saxophones. How uh-huh. could you forget that? Oh, you but, can't forget the saxophones. Okay. Brian Scanlon on alto and uh-huh. soprano. Kirst, Kirsten Atkins oh. on uh, alto, Rob Lockhart and Tom Lohr on tenor, and wow. Brian B. Dog Williams on Barry. Oh, wow. That is killer band. Now, there's more. There's a rhythm section. Oh, my God. So Who's in that? On, on piano? <laughs> Nobody. We. That's another thing. I didn't want piano in the band because 99% of big bands have a piano. Uh-huh. So... The chordal thing from the rhythm section is guitar, and on the album it's Andrew Sinowiec, mm-hmm. but playing the part of Andrew Sinowiec is the Polish pronunciation, P- playing his part tomorrow night at Vibrato in uh, uh, in Bel Air, or Los Angeles, California, Herb Albert's Club, mm-hmm. uh, will be Grant Geisman. Okay. And on the bass, the upright slap bass from Serbia... And from the rockabilly group, gosh, what's her name now? Uh, oh, gosh, I just said it today. But his name is, I have to practice pronouncing it, George Stiapovich. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a killer band. We'll have to give them a big yeah. round of applause. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's that's it. 16 people with Bernie Dressel on the drum. Okay, and it's two shows tomorrow night? It is two shows. Uh, one at six thirty, and which is, I don't know, it might be sold out now. It's darn close. Yeah, if it's not, and then there's some definitely tickets left for the second show at nine o'clock. Very cool. So you come in, have dinner at eight fifteen, eight thirty, and then the show's at nine. Well, uh, let's uh, so let, come let's, join us. Let's play a little bit of the title track, okay? Yeah, the pendulous. And, you know, I don't have a graphic for this, so you can just you can do interpretive dance, or I'll put some uh, mm. screenshots of the album up, and well, here you go. Okay. And just so, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's written by Jim McMillan, James McMillan. Oh, cool. That's the title track of the album, The Pugilist. Uh-huh. Now, it's interesting. This is our third album. And each album has had a different recording story. Oh, the please. Fir- the, fir- the first album was recorded live at Joe's, Great Great American Bar and Grill. Oh, really? In Burbank. There's, there's the Blu-ray. 
Um, you can get it autographed. That one's autographed. Um, I wrote someone's wrong name on it, so I kept it. Um, <laughs> so if there's anyone out there named Steve, maybe I'll give you 10 bucks off on this one. Okay. So that's Live and Burn. We recorded it live in front of an audience. No uh, fixes. Warts and all, we recorded 18 tunes and then picked 14. And so that was the deal there, live, literally live and burning. Get the pun on burning now. And then the second album was recorded at Capitol Records, and that's called Burn, Burn, Burn. Mm -hmm. That's me. See, am I on the cover? Barely. I'm invisible with sticks, and there's my head, my hair and glasses on the bass drum. Uh, But Burn, 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 that was recorded at... I did all the drums alone first at Sunset Sound. Okay. And then we recorded the horns at Capitol Studios. So that was studio album. Mm -hmm. Now, the pugilists, because of the pandemic and we're all like segregated. Is that the right word? We're in our homes cocooning alone. Yes. So much. So we learned, as you know, many of us to record, just do our own recording by our own engineer in our homes. And everybody recorded their parts individually, not together. Wow. So, so I played first to like MIDI tracks and a click and fake MIDI tracks of what the horns would play. Did you and, create uh, those MIDI tracks yourself? I or? did not. The oh. writers would do okay. it. Yeah, that uh, did the charts. There's like six writers on this album. Um, and... Uh, um, so then I'd send it to the lead trumpet player, Dave Richards or Jamie Havorka or, or uh, Tony Bonsera. Have them just play alone to the MIDI. Then, okay, now trumpet two. Okay, now three and four. Okay, now Alan Kaplan on, on trombone. And now Brian Scanlon on alto. Now fill in the bones. Now fill in the saxes. Uh, con- bringing up finally with Barry and trombone at the end. But nobody playing together, which is not how humans make music. No. Uh, now, know. when did you do the rhythm section? After you were done? Before the horns got it? Um, no. I had them. I had to think. If, if, if the bass was ever... No, because the bass is upright bass. Uh-huh. Okay. So I have to go back through this. What did we do? Um, and it's a fretless instrument that's not a definite hard pitch. Right. So for the horns to play to drums and bass, that the pitch might be a little oh, right. squirrely at times. So I just had them play, play to uh, MIDI bass, drums, mm-hmm. and, and finally, you know, once the final... 10, mm-hmm. 11, 12, 13th horn is, they're not listening to the MIDI anymore. They're just playing with right, each right, other. Right. And hearing the, uh, and then we put the bass on. Then we put on guitar. Mm-hmm. And I told you, no piano, Billy. Right. No piano. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, but the last two albums have had just a little bit of keyboard coloring of like uh-huh. B3, Rhodes, Swirlitzer, uh, Vibes, possibly. Um, but, um, uh, but not that piano sound. It is so right. found in big bands. So then this album, way different. I said I would never have a vocalist. And, the, and when, when, you know, the, the, the little 21-year-old vocalist comes up to me, oh, you, I think you need, do you need a vocalist sometime? Uh, I see you don't have one. <laughs> and, and then I say, look him in the eye and go, we will never have a vocalist. <laughs> this band features the drums. That's me. And the horns soloing and playing the melody. And then they, some of them just kind of wither away. Like, And some of them, one person got very upset with me. Really? <laughs> but that was okay. They, yeah. they need to know it's not always. People love vocals, right? Oh, they do. They love the drums. These are the tribal things. Yeah. That go way back to caveman, vocal, you know, communication. We all have that instrument in us, vocals. Mm-hmm. We all have the ability to play something, you know, on a table or clap or whatever. So that's hits with everybody. But uh, so, but this album on two tunes, I thought, okay, stepping out from the band, we're not inviting someone. Come up for one song. Right. Carl Saunders sang a, a oh, tune cool. written by Nan Schwartz called. Positive for the blues. He's okay. a, one of our trumpet players and yeah. trumpet solos. He sang, I tested positive for the blues. 
So it's a little <laughs> tongue in cheek about uh, COVID or yeah. you know, testing. Uh, testing, really, it could right. yeah, it could be any anything testing for it. Um, and so he sang that and scatted instead of trumpet solo. And then we did one Frank Zappa tune called Zombie Wolf, mm-hmm. where Tony Boncero, one of our other trumpet players, lead trumpets, yeah. uh, he sang. I mean, he's got he's Tony is an absolutely sometimes. amazing vocalist. You yeah, know, it's, so he's. he's I go, okay, so let him sing. He's in the yeah. band already. Yeah, no, he's that there makes sense. Every song. He's not, come up for one song. Right. You know, so um, so we did Zombie Wolf, and you'll, you'll hear Tony on the album, too, and at the at the show tomorrow night at Vibrato. Although, cool. if you're watching this later, like four days from now, you won't get to come to the Vibrato <laughs> show, but you can buy the album Pugilist, The Pugilist uh Amazon, my website, BernieTressel.com. Yeah, I'll put, that, I'll put that Look link. That. I'll put the See. link in the in the website. See. See, yeah, it's one S. One. It's hard to point. I know. One S. But uh, <laughs> but so we have a, a kind of a cool video of you doing mm-hmm. something at the studio with the the title track, right? The Pugilist oh, title track. All right. Do you want to set so, this up before we show it? Yes. Yes. Okay. First of all, all three albums, even though recorded in L.A., were mixed in Belgium. Mm. And we mixed them in stereo for, uh, you know, downloading, not Spotify, not Tidal. I don't do that. Uh, But like iTunes Store Uh or we're going to have a thing where you can download tracks on my on my site, BernieDressel.com. But um, um, what was I going to say about it? Uh, And this is your kit from the session, right? Well, part of it. But. We'll get that in a second. So we went to Belgium because they're the competitors to Dolby Atmos. It's called Oro 3D, and it's immersive sound 9.1. Instead of 5.1, your two speakers in the front, two in the rear, and your center for movies, you Mm -hmm. know, hearing car crashes behind you, that's surround sound. So we mixed it like that. But we also mix it with height, Uh, like the trumpets are higher than the rhythm section in the front. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, so you got two front stereo and two rear stereo up high, uh, and that gives you a cube of sound. So we mix it there in Belgium, uh, in Mall, Belgium, in Oro 3D 9.1, so wow. for uh, surround sound. So the title track, which we're going to show you a little clip here, for it was not kicking. It's supposed to be a punchy tune, and it was maybe the least punchy sounding the way mm-hmm. I had it pre-mixed before we went to mix it. I go, we need to have it punch more. So uh, uh, Wilfried, who was engineering for us then and is the inventor creator of Oro 3D, uh-huh. he, uh, he goes, okay, let's put some speakers in the studio, in the room, not the control room, right. and mic those with uh, a decatry, it's called, like stereo with the center, three mics up high, and a couple other mics, uh, like DPAs or, what were they, Neumann at 149? No, Neumann 50s or 49s, whatever they are. And Mike, the room being filled up by the band. I think like Van Halen did that too, mm-hmm. like where they mic like speakers in the studio to give it a little more live and punchy rock right. and aggressive room sound. Um, so... We thought, oh, that sounds great. And then the co-producer, Gary Reber, and said, ah, let's put it on every tune. Let's do that. <laughs> and uh, Wilfried goes, no, 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 no. Just that one tune. That's the only one that needed it. So we're going to put it on there. Okay. So here's just the drums from that track we heard from the, the Pugilists. You're going to play, I think, uh, where yeah, uh, play we're this recording video. the room. Yeah, let's see that. That's the tree miking them from a distance. And we had her walk through just to give a little vary, varying thing to the sound. She was the second engineer. Oh, interesting. So, oh, so uh, that was there to bounce the reflections a little bit? 
Lotto was there, yeah, okay. to kind okay. of make it. Interesting. <laughs> I'm joking about that part. Okay. okay. <laughs> she seems Lotta, so small. How much perfection she, she Exactly, <laughs> exactly. She's, she's young. And it's interesting, Lotta could hear 14K. Really? And none of the adults could hear 14K. Like there was something, there was a, like a, one of my mics that I had on a recording on like a second snare drum mic uh-huh. had a little bit of a high frequency. I don't know what it was. It was, but we couldn't hear it. It's like, wow. well, if you can't hear it, who cares? But all she and the other young engineer that was like 23, another second, they go, oh, yeah, we hear that sound all the time. It's like, you sure they oh, weren't okay. messing with you? <laughs> they could have been. They could have been. But I think it's just. People's, it's not just drummers, it was just, you know, just adults lose a certain amount of frequency sometimes. Yeah. With, uh, you want to talk about this one? The Espresso Espresso Express? Oh, yes, but before I forget, I remember the band's name now Ah. with the wonder called Wikipedia of George. He plays with Tiger Army. And he even used to play in a band with Lemmy, if you know who Lemmy wow. is. And, and in fact, he and I played with uh, Drake Bell at one point, if you know wow. the, the old show, Josh and Drake. So that's we go back a ways. But cool. uh, he almost played with Brian Setzer at one point. But I want to have slap bass in the band. So mm-hmm. uh, not 100% of the time, but right. like maybe 25%, because that's, that's part of my history with Brian Setzer Orchestra and Rockabilly. But right. I don't want it all rockabilly. So, but so that's that's really great having uh, George. I mean, uh, George has only played one gig with us, you wow. know. So, uh, and never any of these new tunes we're playing tomorrow night. So, this is a new kind of push with him. He's, he's just so good. Well, so, um, I used to teach at UNLV, and I met the uh, the wind orchestra there. They have a great wind orchestra, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, uh, they uh, they ended up commissioning a drum set concerto for me to to play wow. and record, and uh, so most concertos are like piano, violin concerto, uh, trumpet concerto, maybe percussion concerto, but drum set concerto is pretty rare. There have been a couple written, but one like. I remember it's just almost like a pops concert with the drums playing groove. Right. So I wanted them to write this concerto for a wind orchestra, which is like a wind ensemble, where the drum set is a featured instrument, but there's no pitch. Like right. I'm not sticking a xylophone up there or two yeah. cowbells. That it's all non-pitched instruments, so which is rare for a concerto. Um, and we played it, rehearsed it, and played it at UNLV for the very first time right like a month before COVID lockdown for the first Mm. time. So almost two years ago. We're just getting ready to perform it again in February at UNLV um, but and then record it in March uh, where we were trying to record it before but then COVID hit and that killed it. So here we go and uh, it's a a three movement, 15 minute concerto. We're gonna play a little bit of it. There's three movements. The second movement's like a slow movement. Right. And uh, you might say there's maybe like some West Side Story, Bernstein type influence to the writing. Um, uh, But uh, yeah, play a little bit. I'll play a little bit from the top and then we'll stop for a second and I'll try to find the third movement and play a little bit of that. Okay. We'll see how it goes. The Espresso Express. I like double espressos.
Okay, well, let me see if I can uh, jump ahead a little bit, see if we can find that third minute. I think we said it was at 9.15 or something it started. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe get in around 12 minutes. Maybe okay. get the last couple of minutes, see what's going on there. It might be drum solo time and then the final. Okay, so know. here's about 12 minutes in. Let's start from here. Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the in-house audience loves you also. And I, I just, you got to let that one roll to the end. It's, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the rockabilly thing. You played here uh, like seven or eight times with the rockabilly trio. So, you know, if you're, if you're enjoying the show, you yes. want to see more about Bernie, you just go to our archive page. I'll, you know, I'll, this is show, I think this is show 90. 
89 or 90. This might ah, be 89. So, and my dad is 90. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I, I think, actually, I think this is show 89, and Thursday is show 90. But, uh, but they, they, oh. if you go to the archives page, they're all there, <laughs> and there's some really great ones. But, but you know, we, I see we, we have about 10 minutes left with Bernie because he's got a race to get oh. something done for his show tomorrow night. But uh, uh, a couple things. Now, you had some stories. You toured with Brian Setzer also. Yeah, but, you know, I'd like to do something first. Okay, do that. Never done on your show before. <gasps> I'd like to have a staring contest with you right now. <laughs> okay, so let's see if we, let's see if one person drops off. Okay, this, uh, there this, we go. This won't work Don't? on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do it another time. We'll do it for one of the live shows, sorry. Okay, I, I so have, Brian Setzer. I, yeah. yeah, I literally have seven <laughs> screens in here that I'm working with right now, so I'm constantly, I'm trying to, you know, right. be engaged. But okay, yeah, <laughs> tell us about Brian, that, that gig, how was that? <laughs> uh, well, I did uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra starting in 1992 when he first put the band together. When it's mm -hmm. like, uh, hey, you want to play in this Rockabilly Guys big band? Uh, oh, okay. Can you do it? Oh, I can't do it. So I couldn't do the first couple of gigs. And then they, Brian went, hey, let's let's try some more. Uh, how about that guy you originally asked? Uh and then I could do it. So then I ended up doing it for 15 years, 1992 to 2007. I mean, the big moment was uh, uh, for the band, The Peak, would have been the, the, the album uh, The Dirty Boogie, uh -huh. where it was uh, like three million sales. It's right before wow. iTunes hit. And, and what was that called? Napster and all that. Right. And so there was a lot of sales and uh, it was triple platinum. But one of the big moments, you were asking me, like, could you, is there some story to tell? Well, most of the stories you can't tell, right? Right. Those would be the, you know, the crazy I, ones. I've been on the road, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. I've heard that. Okay. But one of the big moments that you think about is us. We're in Atlantic City playing there or whatever, and then we're going to go play Woodstock 99 the next day. Wow. So, so you know, we're... Hanging out at the bar, gambling, doing all kinds of stuff, length six, staying up late. And we get on the bus and do a lot of, you know, a lot of hit and runs are called where you get on the bus after a gig and travel all night, mm -hmm. sleep on the bus. So we did that. Woke up wherever that was, Woodstock 99 in a field somewhere and with, you know, some portable showers and things like that. But we wake up and go, OK, you guys are on in like 40 minutes. Oh, and Willie Nelson was out there before us playing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we came on and, no, and then Elvis Costello played solo before us. Wow. And we were on the th third day of Woodstock in 99 on the Sunday. The, I think it was Sunday, the final day. And uh, so we're, we, we play, it's like 300,000 people almost like watching. So it's like the classic thing you've seen right. on many things as a kid going, wow, that's a crowd. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, there would be two stages. One, like, where everyone come up to. Then we finish and they all migrate to the next stage. Mm. And then 300,000 people move like 100 yards, you know, wow. to the next, while well, the next band sets up on that stage, right. you know. But so, <laughs> I, after we finished... I went out with my new digital camera. They were new then. Yeah. They weren't, there was no iPhones yet. I had a digital camera. So I'm taking photos, all the garbage that's on the ground and stuff. And I get closer to the stage. I'm getting closer to the stage, taking these photos. And I go, ooh, that smell. <laughs> so some, the bathrooms weren't close enough to the stage. So some people do it just... I mean, this was this is the one that ended in riots because people wow. were mad how they were treated. Bathrooms weren't close enough. Water, bottles of water were too expensive. Right? Uh, isn't that weird that you pay for water anyway? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but you know, like twenty dollars back then for a bottle of water. And, yeah. You know, and that's really hot, and so people were getting pretty angry. So, but we finished. And then I remember Brian and I, we both like baseball, so we we're playing catch there while some other band's on. Uh, 
Seven Dust, they were called. Seven Dust. You know, the band that would go, you know, a band that comes out, you know, doing the head bob for like maybe two and a half tunes, and then they can't keep it up for all set, you know. <laughs> right. But this energy, whoa, at first, oh my gosh. And then like, and then they go, okay, we're done with that. Uh, <laughs> but we're playing catch, so that was memorable. And then we get on the bus, and we had like some feed of Woodstock that was like uh a uh, what do you call it? Uh, like a pay-per-view, uh-huh. and we watched it on the bus as we we're leaving. You know, seeing the Red Hot Chili Peppers play. They closed it, and it was they played Fire, and that's where everyone started setting fires and rioting. And we're watching wow. this on the bus. We had gotten out of there. Wow! But but it was a memorable rock concert festival <laughs> to be a part of. Uh, but you know, just every you know, just looking out at a crowd when we're playing and seeing a eight year old there or grandma or or rockabillies or punk punkers or yuppies. Remember there were people yeah. called yuppies? You know, so just we had a wide variety of people that would come and just enjoy the show and something for everyone, you know kind of a thing of rocking and swinging the big band. I mean, it was a big band. Yeah. But not jazz. You know, right. it's more like Elvis, 50s Elvis, uh-huh. rockabilly meets 40s Krupa swing, hmm. you know, and then put a little Keith Moon wild reckless abandon on it and the groove of Ringo and, and just put it all in a pot, you know, and that's kind of what I did with it and what we did. That's very and, cool. Uh, yeah, so, but that was a memorable. I bet. But it, I it bet. was so, so great to be a part of it because it wasn't just playing someone's uh, music off their record. We were part of creating it, you know, yeah. and and not no one else was really doing that. There there was kind of a swing movement at the mm-hmm. time with like uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Royal Crown Review, Squirrel Nut Zippers, uh, someone else I'm forgetting, but there was a big five, and you know Brian was already established from playing with the Stray mm-hmm. Cats from t- you know ten. 15 years earlier, yeah. but uh, there was this movement. But no one was doing all what we were doing with the big band attached to it. And it, so it was a very cool to have created that hybrid, but not something like that led to, okay, now I'll go play in the next rockabilly big band. There yeah. was none. So, I, you know. Well, I know in town, you're very, very well known and respected in the studios. You do a ton of stuff. You do a lot of mallet playing in the studios and, and the drumming and all that sort of stuff. And, and just the versatility, that, did that start when you were young, getting into music and getting into jazz? Or were you just interested in everything? Or how did, what was the catalyst yeah, for Yeah, you know, so I, I played, you know, like we talked about drums, but then I started playing alto sax when people, oh. you know, fourth grade, pick up, you know, band instruments, at least in Sharon, PA, it was fourth grade. And then, okay, I'm thinking about this as a career. I'm going to take piano. That's something you do. And that'll help my mallet playing, you know, marimba. So I started Mm -hmm. piano before marimba in seventh grade and then theory and all that. And, uh, you know, of course, I was always concentrating on drum set more than piano Mm -hmm. or saxophone. But, you know, marimba-wise and uh, timpani, I was getting you know preparing to audition for college. So that was a big thing to play. Uh, orchestral percussion. Uh, it wasn't until I got to Eastman in Rochester, New York, where I studied congas and hand percussion. Mm-hmm. Even though I had congas when I was in seventh or ninth grade, right? Um, I didn't know how to play them really. So Frankie Malabe came in and t- did some lessons. I don't know if you know That's him cool. from Cuba. I know the you name, know. but I've never met him. Yeah. So, so the grandfather of. of Kungas, you know. Well, we uh, we got to wrap things up now. Do you have any? Do you have a closing thought, Bernie? Anything uh, profound or well, not to say? <laughs> well, I think uh, you know what we've just gone through with COVID and all that, and all us musicians being down for the count mostly. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very hard time for everybody, and I get a little emotional about it too. Sometimes when I'm talking about it, whether it's people we lost or all the hardship that everyone went through, including me. Um, I mean, the hardest thing is to sit at home and not get to play for an audience. I mean, I, I, I do a lot of studio work, sure, but I, I love playing live for an audience and creating something just then and then it's gone. Yeah. Um, 
So to not be able to do that is very sad, you know, uh, when you're you're really living for that. You know, when I saw the Beatles play, I didn't go, oh, I can't wait till they stop playing for crowds and get in the studio and <laughs> yeah. just do that. I thought, wow, look at the crowd reacting and right, screaming right, right. and loving it. And they sound great. So this was a tough time and we're starting to pull out of that. My my band is finally after a year and nine months, the, yeah. the BBB featuring Bernie Dressel the name, uh, is, uh, is back in action. I hope we stay in action and uh, can keep this going and that we uh, all can get through this safely and uh, get back to being humans, enjoying being together. Well, yeah. it, it has been great having you here. It's been having, great having you come play the series, you know, which we started because nobody had a place to play. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I appreciate you being on the show. I'll have to yeah. have you back on a drummer night. There's so much more to talk about. Um, yeah. Uh, and so we're going to say goodnight. I just want to remind you, you and we are tip-based 100%. So if you can leave us something, every little bit helps, even if you're watching an archive, even if you're listening to the podcast, which will be out sometime soon. I'm a little late on the last one, the bass night. but uh, Because if you don't tip... <laughs> I'm coming for you. Yeah, Bernie's coming for you. He's got the red gloves and everything. So, And if you want to tip Billy, tip Billy. He does a great <laughs> job here putting this all together and bringing you, people to, all over the world to hear this in music and discussions. And then also, you know, I don't know if I can do it here, but there's like boxes of CDs that you, you have to, and DVD or Blu-rays that you buy. Yeah. And then, like, I wrote a check. This wasn't the recording. This is just to buy these $6,700. What? For, for, you know, 3,000 CDs and and Blu-rays. And uh, go, okay, well, you go to my website and get one. I will put a link to that on the newsletter that goes out <laughs> next Monday. So I'll put that link yeah. to the and I get the, I'll get the proper links from you uh, when you have time and by Monday and I'll send it out on the Monday email. So, But I do want to say this. Yes? This is what we went through. Like I, recording this at home and to get through the process mm-hmm. and finally have your baby born with a hard labor we went through to try to make it happen in a way not... This, is, this was a... This was this was tough work and got us through it to do it too and yeah. making trying to make and we want you to enjoy it and I'm not putting it on Spotify. Good. You gotta you gotta buy one, okay? And you'll enjoy holding it, reading it, and putting <laughs> it in the player. Yeah. All okay. right. Well, thank you, Bernie. Uh, Mr. Bernie Dressel, thank you so much. I'm going to play the outro video, and we'll see you guys. Everybody, come back Thursday. It's going to be super fun, I promise. Thank you, Mr. Billy Halting. (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us at Live at Zero BPM. These videos will be archived on YouTube and Facebook, so tell your friends. These Jazz Roundtable shows will also be released as a podcast, so please subscribe. Go to live at zeroppm.com for details and to sign up for our mailing list. Also, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you soon!